Transculture Express, the Artistania podcast, with your hosts Frida and Abilashen. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Transculture Express. Today we are going to talk about sound art, about its subversive potentials, and we will also talk about sound art as a research practice. Our guest today is artist and scholar Shanti Suki Osman. Welcome, Shanti. Hi. <laughs> I'm going to give you like a, um, a brief introduction about Shanti, if that's... Go for it, please. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and uh, if I forget something, you can just please, please feel free to add it. <laughs> um, so yeah, you're a Berlin-based artist and educator who's working with song, sound and radio, exploring the topics of identity, privilege and anti-racism and feminisms. You give regularly lectures at academic conferences about topics related to music and music pedagogy about women asterisks of color, identities and technology. Your doctoral candidate at the music pedagogy at Karl von Osiecki University in Oldenburg focusing on women of color in higher music education and a research associate at HU Berlin. Correct? This is correct. I'm not officially at Humboldt anymore. Um, I just finished working um, this last semester. So I'm just at uh, Oldenburg in terms of official employment <laughs> that I'm very grateful to have. <laughs> okay, before we uh, start, uh, we actually have a segment on this show in the beginning. It's called Musical Discovery. And in that, we ask our guests, what was their last musical discovery? It's an icebreaker. <laughs> This is an ice, but this is a stressful icebreaker. Um, <laughs> oh no. no, 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 it's great. What was my last musical discovery? Um, okay, so I, 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 I listen to my favorite radio show is BBC One Extra. This is what I really like to listen to, and one of the reasons why is because it plays great pop music. And I know that there's this um, singer called Georgia Smith, and everyone has been like celebrating her for a very, very long time. And I think. I heard her stuff a while ago and then I think what has recently happened, and this is not a lie, I'm not just saying it because you asked me, but I'm, I just listened to some of her stuff and it kind of clicked for the first time that she's amazing. So this this actually is a is a genuine recent discovery. So I rate Georgia Smith. She's a great singer and she does some, some really nice songs. And I think she also did this, um, she did a couple of songs that are kind of like really about like you know, black female empowerment and also like one that highlights sort of, you know, you know, police brutality and racism in the UK. So I think I think that slowly I was about like, okay, this is kind of cool because they're really poppy songs, but they're addressing these topics. And so yeah, there you go. There's a latest discovery, even though it's not like, you know, it's not like a unknown. She's really famous, but I really like her. Well, I've never heard of her. So for me that's go. that's news. Uh and um <laughs> And we will actually, we will put it on our playlist. We have a Spotify playlist for the podcast and it's going to go on there. Yeah. For our listeners also. That's great. Mm -hmm. That's great. <laughs> okay. So I said earlier and Abby Lajan did as well that you are a sound artist. And I have to be honest that I don't know very many sound artists. 
Um, like I know a lot of musicians and I also lo know a lot of artists, but I don't know so many people who um, do sound art. And that's why I wanted to ask as the very first question, how did you become interested in sound? Um, I really love this question because I, yeah, 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 I, I really like this question. And I think it's one of the reasons why, if you notice, if if I'm ever writing any like text about myself like I'm always saying like I'm an artist who works with sound song and radio and um, because this this label sound artist tends to carry a lot of weight which I just don't want and it tends to be a very specific not a specific or specific schools of sound art that come from you know composition or new classical music and it's super nerdy and it's uh super white and um we can maybe talk about a bit more about that later me personally i'm a singer i'm a pop singer like i have been <laughs> you know when i first started out doing like singer songwriter stuff at the age of i don't know 14 15 <laughs> i remember playing gigs with uh friends in like my hometown with a guitar and just singing and when I first moved to Berlin that's how I um that's how I was as a musician you know I didn't even call myself an artist back then now everyone calls themselves artists you know I was a musician and I was like songwriting and singing and this is what I do and then and then I sort of got more involved in electronic music and that's how I met the wonderful Daphne Della Daphne who I am together with in a band called Late Nights and Squat Bars and I I call it like a band I I haven't told her, but I should tell her that I, I we should call it a movement because we do we we did we do lots of songs, we did lots of music videos, but we've also put festivals on. We also do a radio show, and we're also like extremely great friends. So it's kind of like a nice thing there. But through through Daphne and and, and the work with Late Nights and Squat Bars, we got to electronic music. So she was bringing her sort of like eighties pop. Um, she's a guitarist right she's like a really great rock guitarist like she she was bringing that influence into it and I was bringing more this like you know soulful a bit like trip hop you know this classic like British British this classic British alternative music bringing that to the vibe and then like all of a sudden we discover somebody like MIA and we're just like whoa what do we do with this so we we started like playing with electronic stuff and that's when it went from okay interpret this how you want I'm going to say it very very simply that's how it kind of went from music to sound and then I started like interpreting like this idea of music a little bit differently. And I'm not saying this in a correct or incorrect way. It's just in terms of tracing the perception. Like there was the music that I was producing with a guitar that would like maybe follow a, a rhythm or a melody. And then there was the music I was producing with my with my vocals. And then there was suddenly the sounds I was inputting through my laptop, you know, which was just like, okay, well, that's a sound. But then if you put those sounds together, it's kind of music. So there's that. And then the the second stage that got me to the sound art was was radio. You know, I had um, a friend of mine called Kate Donovan, who uh, is a sound artist and radio maker and works with Club Radio. She invited me in 2016 to, she just said like, oh, do you fancy doing a radio show? And that's when I, and I was just like, yeah, I'd love to actually, that'd be cool. And I developed the radio show Hidden Stories. Well, it kind of does what it says, you know, Hidden Stories. Mm -hmm. Like the idea was to kind of like, tell these different stories or unknown unknown episodes of like activism or in, whether environmental or political or anti-racist or just just I mean at the time at the time I called it like post-colonial stories because that was a word I was using that served this purpose of allowing me to move away from the mainstream narrative 
And that's the word I use at the time. And I'm not sure if I would call it that now. Like I'm very open to like reassessing what we call things. So for example, I did, I did one radio show on the fracking and I, and I, and I, told a story about two different anti-fracking protests, protests, one in Romania and one in a village in the UK. And then I would like play music that in my way, in my interpretation related to that. So maybe there would be local musicians or I think for one of them, I even found this really awesome Romanian um, trip hop singer who did a song with David Lynch, which was incredible to find that. So I managed <laughs> to play that on the track. And then I also did, you know, Another story about um, hiding gender identity and at different times when that was necessary, like um, looking at um, people in the 1950s and then one story in China and stuff. So it was really, it spanned all of this stuff. And I think that um, that experience with radio got me to sound art. There is, there is a point to this. It got mm -hmm. me to sound art because it was, it was this way of kind of connecting, connecting it all and my approach to sound art therefore I will always say is very pop like it comes from pop music like it's very it's like I I don't consider this the stuff that I do to be concept art or whatever maybe like concept art with a capital C and a capital A you know like I feel like it it comes from really basic storytelling and expression okay so pop music and radio is like your sure entry um maybe you can also tell us about Are you actively, for example, collecting sounds or like going on a, like, what is your approach to this kind of like sonic sphere? I love this question. As, as we know, right, a lot of, a lot of this sound art, people will also throw out the word, oh, feel recording and, and recording and all this stuff. And I'm, I go about it again in a very kind of, very simple sort of way. Like often I, I don't do it right now, but a lot of the, like for the performance that I will be doing, like. A lot of that is recorded sounds that I have made. You know, a lot of it is, um, is is people talking as well, but a lot of it is recorded sounds. And sometimes it would just be like things that I maybe thought would sound nice. Um, but I have an issue with it. It's a current issue. It's not something I'm fixed with. But right now I, I feel like this idea of field recording, I don't know how I feel about going somewhere, recording something and then using that for a piece of artwork I I'm I'm still trying to figure out how that what that means and how that relates to just I mean this is now going in a different direction but how that relates to kind of like bigger bigger more complex things like cultural appropriation <laughs> but so you know so I'm very very careful with it even though I feel like it's unavoidable like you know you'll um there are there are sounds that we take with sounds that we record and I don't know. It's a it's a great question, and I'm I'm kind of a little bit like with the answer. I'm just not sure anymore. And I think so, there was there was a time. It's one of the reasons why I stopped making the show Hidden Stories because I felt a little bit like, oh, but like ultimately it's just me telling someone else's stories. Or or let's just say like I I, I questioned like, am I just reproducing what I say I'm trying to go against, which is trying to kind of like open up spaces for other stories to come through. But then if I'm the mouthpiece, are these stories actually coming through? And I felt similarly with my with my approach to recording sounds. But um, something else just came to mind, if I may, just relating to sound and practices and storytelling and pop and form. So uh, recently, like in the past few few years, I've, I feel like I've created a few sound pieces that I'm I'm really kind of like proud of in this way because they sort of really 
they sort of like tell these stories of um, racism or anti-racism and feminisms. And I remember creating one called Chipping Away, which I created for I Am Not Your Fortune Cookie, which was an event that was put on by Vicky Trong. And it was sort of a response to... I think it was Art Week Berlin. There was like some really horrific, like anti-Asian racism, like exoticism, stereotyped party where it was like over-sexualized, like Asian mm. presenting bodies and like a group of people from the Asian community and also beyond sort of like critiqued it. And then they were just like, oh no, you know, this is just a party. Don't take it so seriously. It was pretty much the argument. And then Vicky created this event with the help of um, different um, associations. And for that event, I did a sound piece called Chipping Away, which was based on different stories, uh, sorry, different voices surrounding um, this idea of being turned away from a club because you look wrong. You don't look like you should be there. I'm telling this story because when I go about creating these sound pieces, it's really very much like I create characters. So I create these different characters. So there was the there was the woman who was turned away at the door. There was the bouncer. There was the the friend who was reassuring her that it was that it was not such a big deal. And you know, and then there was the kind of like so the woman who's turned away is not white, obviously. And then there's the white friend kind of saying like, oh, but it happens to everybody. It happens to all women. It's not just you. And then and and then I remember trying to to take these these characters and then create sounds or find sounds based on these characters and then that's how the storytelling begins that was like all over but I just <laughs> wanted to get back to the sonic practice thing because yeah. um it's it feels like collage it feels like happy collage <laughs> yeah um with your like the concept of like collaging it still works out as a concept when I was thinking of your pieces and it was like not that over complex structured sound art as we would see it. so it's accessible and it's something that you can really like relate to or like kind of like can follow somehow that was a feeling that I had when I was listening to it I'm really happy that you say it's accessible and I wonder if that's something I I kind of do very very consciously because so much is not accessible mm. and I I think that's why, yeah, again, I'm really happy that you you heard that through the pieces. And I, I wonder if that's why I always tend to repeat, okay, it's not, it's not like concept. It's not, it's not like conceptual. And then one friend once said to me, no, it is conceptual. Don't, don't say it's not conceptual. What you mean is it's not, it's not like inaccessible. Mm. So thanks for touching on that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, I have one more question about late nights in squat bars. Yes, If please. we can maybe go back uh, there. Uh, you told us the story of how that started and, and some of the things that you were doing. I love that name, <laughs> late nights in squat bars. I, I feel like I've spent so many late nights in squat bars myself. I cannot take credit for the name. The, the name comes from Daphne Della Daphne. She was, in, she was doing many projects and then we did a song together. Okay, I'm trying to think. What's the official story? What's the story she likes to tell? Okay, one of the <laughs> stories. stories. One okay. of the stories is that she she asked me to do backing singing on one of her songs, and then that's how we realized. Okay, this this could be like a cool thing. And then we started making music together, and she already had like a one of her many projects was called Late Nights in Squat Bars, and I was like, let's just use that name. It's a bloody great name. It is, and <laughs> it's kind of. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I just wanted to say that's Daphne Della Daphne. So. Okay, it's, it's Daphne Della Daphne's invention. Right. So you, you touched upon what you did or did in the past. And 
I wanted to know what you've been doing in, in the past year or like what are you working on now? So we, we're not currently working on anything at the moment. It's just, you know, projects and life takes us in different directions. But we, one of the things we did, it's, it's really funny actually, we did it just, just before the pandemic and we started making radio shows together, which was really lovely because um, Daphne Della Daphne was also making a, still makes a wonderful radio show called Salon Daflon. And it's just like a beautiful mix of like female musicians, um, unusual corners like just music coming from different places and it's it's really poppy and it's really great and we did a we actually did a late nights and squat bars radio show and it was so cool and i and we did one and funnily enough just yesterday we even talked about maybe doing like doing another one because we planned we even had this whole format set up like we planned that we'd both like pick ha huh, referring to your icebreaker question we planned that we would both pick like two songs that we discovered recently <laughs> there we had time to prepare two songs that we discovered recently or two or three songs and then we and then we said we'd have like a feature artist that was like someone who'd influenced us and the person that we did on the first episode was MIA but we also talked about the, the problematics behind you know her most recent work but also we can't deny the fact that when her album dropped in 2007 it, 2005 the first one it just like blew us blew us out the water so we ha we already had like our featured artist and then we already had one one segment of the radio show was like to kind of like analyze and discuss one of our songs because <laughs> they're, they're all stories as well, you know, mm. a lot of the songs are stories too. So yeah. I'm really happy that you asked that because now I want to like plan our next episode, even though the first one was, I think it was literally like January 2020 is when we did it. Okay. So, um, yeah, but there might be coming some, some new ones. <laughs> I, 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 I hope, and I think that the next thing we would do together would be this radio show. Cause it's also, again, a really accessible form at the moment. Um, I was also wondering like, because this show also aims to ask like, how are you dealing in, uh, with certain artistic practices within the pandemic? Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you maybe recognized a change within the sound of the city or your neighborhood here in Neukölln. Uh, for instance? Yeah, no, this is a really good question. So I cannot hear very well in my left ear at all. Um, and it, I need to have a procedure at some point. And it was supposed to happen in March and it didn't. And I don't know when it's going to happen. But um, it's fine. It's not life-threatening, so I'm okay. But I really, it's got to the point now where I really can't hear anything. And um, I remember before before the pandemic. So basically when I was out and about as I would have been normally like a year and a half ago or longer now, um, it was, it really bothered me. It was really a problem. I remember being in, in, in seminars and like always having to say to the students, Oh, sorry, you know, can you, you know, I can't really hear, or could we, could we all move to the front, you know, being this big room and have a echoing. And sometimes people would say things and I was like, I really did not hear what that person said. And then having to negotiate that um that truth in that moment um so I remember as soon as it was uh one of the many lockdowns and it was like stay at home and then I was teaching from my I was teaching from home and then I would wear headphones so I could hear everything and then you know I'd maybe see one person or one or two people at a time and I kind of forgot about it. Like they really, at some point I really forgot about it. And then I think when things started opening up again, oh gosh, I can't remember. I think it must've been like around summertime. Like I remember like July, August, September. I remember sort of like being around more people. I don't, I never actually, I don't think I actually went indoors into like a big space. Cause I think I was still a bit 
well, still am very wary of it. But I remember just being around these people and just being really disturbed by it because I had forgotten, or let's just say I had I had to like relearn how to negotiate that from my hearing perspective. And that um yeah, that that troubles me quite a lot. And I'm wondering if it's why during these phases where we have been quote unquote allowed to go out more. I mean, now is not really one of those phases, but during the phases where we were allowed to go out more and we were allowed to be around more people, I often chose not to. And I and I think, you know, a lot of it, of course, was because of because of Corona. But I think some of it was or maybe even subconsciously was because just having to negotiate and deal with the noise or like the lack of hearing in the noise. So. I guess that's my answer to the question. Um, I'm sure other people have also experienced it as well, you know, just being being at home and then suddenly being in a crowded space that's going to have this effect on people. So, um, yeah, there you go. Thank yeah. you for answering the question. I mean, like thinking of like really t taking oneself back and then get exposed to all these vibrant sounds or like, I don't know, maybe the fundamental of the soundscape of the city might also shifted or changed For instance, like the city at night sounds completely different now in these pandemic times than before, right? I mean, I think whenever I'm cycling home or cycling at night, it's it's silent. It's yeah. empty. It's really empty. And it's kind of, um, I don't even know how to describe it other than empty. And I, even empty, I'm, I'm trying to use a word that's not too loaded. Like it's not even miserable empty. It's not even free empty. It's just empty. So. Mm. Yeah, it has changed perceptions in so many ways, right? Just yeah, the city the city has changed. We've talked a lot about sound and I think it would be time to maybe also listen to some sounds. I don't know, do you want to say anything before we start listening or Yes, I would like to if that's okay. Um because I um I thought a lot about what to present because you know, a lot of The sound pieces I do are exactly that. They're sound pieces. They're pre-recorded, you know, constructed pieces. And um, last summer, again, when things were a little bit more relaxed and 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 um, warmer, <laughs> um, so I'm part of the um, arts collective Altus Finance Amt, which is actually just around the corner from here. And two of the two of the collective with other people they they led a um a festival it was really great and it was like you know social distance safe festival and it was called the urge and it was like different members of the collective did different things based on this idea of the urge to like the urge to dance the urge to listen the urge to the urge to explain because we were all feeling a bit like you know we're artists but what the hell are we doing and um i i did a similar thing then where i kind of like put a lot of my pieces together in a sort of ableton set And I created like a sort of soundscape that went on for a long time, which is not what I'm going to do today. But I wanted to use really similar material. Sorry, I, I talk a lot. Um, it's because it's exciting. You know, I've been spinning in my room all day with no human being. Um, so actually what I've got here is I would love to. So part of what I'm going to do now is play for maybe 15 minutes where I'm going to like sort of uh, weave different sounds in and out. And we can also talk more about it afterwards. But for example, one of the, one of the pieces that I will feature is like an excerpt from this chipping away that I mentioned a minute ago um, because um, I like it. Okay, then let's play. Let's, let's hear. <laughs>
This, this, this safe is space. a safe space. This is a safe space. This is a safe this space. They call a safe this. They call a safe. They have a safe space policy. They have. A they don't tolerate racism, sexism, and phobia. They don't tolerate racism, sexism, and phobia. They have a policy. They have a policy. Everyone is happy here. Everyone is happy here. So many things. I mean, it's uh, we're fighting essentially for the same kind of equality, mm-hmm. but uh, I mean the demons that we face on a daily basis take on different forms in this country. Yeah. You know, as women. So, and and we haven't covered. I mean, we the feminist movement started around like you know the same time as the civil rights movement in America for like sixties, sixties. So it did have a lot of time to develop, but we didn't really. I mean, developing just meant that we weren't able to like spread that as widely as you know it was being spread there and then so many things were working against like the favor of women here uh, social taboos I mean like these are very obvious things which divide like I don't know developing and undeveloped though I still like I mean I still see like oppression in the so called quote unquote developed world you know? so and it just it's similar but different. abroad for a considerable amount of time. Um, when when I think about feminism, whether it's here in India, or at least women's lives abroad or women's lives here, because I think in India it you can't even you can't even unify the country, let alone the women. They come the women from the northeast are different from the women in the South, they're different from the women in Punjab, or different from... So to say, to create this, like, overarching women... This is a safe space. This is a safe This safe. A safe this. They a safe They have a safe space policy.
the lady on the street, whatever. Um, why, why do you care? What is it that you care about? Um, do you genuinely feel like you saw someone at a disadvantage and you feel like you can help them in some way and it's coming from a place of good intention? Then why not? Like if you feel like, but I feel like what you should understand is why do you think they need help? Have they asked you for help? If they haven't asked you for help, have you tried to understand their situation in a way that... Because not everyone asks for help either. They might be completely disadvantaged but want to handle it themselves. Eigentlich müssen wir, naja, wir müssen nicht ganz vorsichtig sein, denn wir können ja nicht nur wissen, was jemand wehtun wird und ja, ob sie dann irgendeine Biografie haben, die dann verletzt wird durch, keine Ahnung, durch verschiedene Wörter oder Benehmen, also ich glaube, deswegen so wirklich aufeinander aufpassen und auch so, naja, so gucken, dass wir den Sachen machen, die dann aber nicht wehtun oder verletzen und, und auch voll richtig gut, ich meine so selbst positionieren, dass, wir, dass es ganz klar ist, was wir denn sind oder äh, wofür wir stehen und dass wir dann eigentlich, wenn wir eigentlich safety and like what weapons do you carry, the, how do you safeguard yourself and who are your like emergency contacts. So there's always that all of fear that you know you might be in physical harm. So that's like one oppressive aspect of having to live here. Yeah. And suppose something does like I mean God forbid where it's like women you're always living in the fear of like it's bound to happen to you. It's not like it's never gonna happen to me. Like I mean they are more so like it's just okay. abiding your so. Usha Uttar. She is used to be well, she still is an amazing singer. And she used to do the jazz the whole jazz scene in Calcutta back in the days. I've heard her sing English. I think she has a great strong voice and a, an amazing presence. But she's not my favorite jazz singer. 
you know i would i think i appreciate her hindi voice a lot more cuz that's where she's really that's that's that is what she's good at um i suppose she brings a whole different twist to to hindi because of her, her jazz influence so it does uh, contribute to that to that style but on on the consider this thing like why are there like purely women uh, you know reserved compartments is just so that but then that it, it's a divide which further creates a rift na like in even when you see like girls who sit with the boys and boys who sit with girls and it's just like mixed class Uh, subjected to arranged marriage, you're supposed to just like drop your clothes and stuff like that. 
Thank you, Shanti, for for letting us uh, hear. It was really immersive. I also closed my eyes uh, while listening, and it somehow uh, reminded me a lot of. Uh, yeah, it was a bit like traveling, <laughs> also like in my mind I was traveling to, yeah, different places that may or may not have anything to do with the places that you actually were or, or that were in the recordings. But I think, at least in my head, I was very somewhere else. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> it's also... Sorry, I'm just talking. I realize it's so funny because, um, as I mentioned before, I, I included a few sort of um, finished pieces there. And... You know, I've spent this whole time saying, oh, there's, you know, there's no concept, no concept. But all I want to do now is like, I need to explain like which, what all the pieces were and what they meant. And then I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing. But it was it was actually like you were saying that you felt immersed somewhere with whatever associations. And I felt re-immersed in the, in the kind of like the processes of all these pieces, which was really nice. Like I just mentioned the chipping away one, which was the story. You know, that was the one that I played quite prominently with this idea of the safer space. This is a safe space where we're all happy here. Everyone's fine here, but then actually not. And there was also a couple of other pieces that that are really dear to me, like this one called Voicing Up, which um, was a lot of the kind of like kitchen noises that we heard, like the kind of beating of the eggs, the kettle and the washing machine. And this is a this is a it's really dear to me. It's um it, it, it came from um kind of like a sound piece that was part of a, a presentation of research at a symposium for sonic cyber feminisms in 2017. And it was based on these very loose interviews that I did with some um, women and, um, you know, women asterisks, musicians of color. I'm kind of like spaced out now. Musicians of color. And like we, we had these very, like very relaxed interviews based on their experiences in the Berlin sort of like electronic music scene and through their interviews I came up with like these three different terms about how they um, negotiate the space and it's literally what my like PhD research is now based on so it kind of feels quite special <laughs> that it started with a sound piece which is really nice and there was there was another piece I think maybe you heard my voice it was a long time ago now that's from 2016 where I was there was some Audrey Lord quotes and that was part um, funnily enough, another another sound piece that I made in in conjunction with some research based and, and the piece was called now it's a little bit silly now. It's called Exotic Bird in the Corner. And um it's based on a quote by oh gosh, what's her name? Is it Mavis Baton? I will have to check that. And it was a book that I read and it was about women in rock, like and how like women and female musicians in rock music and how they and then how they have to just deal with being different. And it was just this idea of like you looked upon like this exotic bird in the corner, and that particular sound piece was 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 a result of interviews that I had or discussions that I had with artists of color, and this idea of self exotification or self exoticization. I'm not sure what the quite word is, and like what what we do in terms of survival to use these bits of tangible identity that we may or may not have and how how we employ it or how not or do we distance ourselves from from this so-called culture that's maybe read through our name or do we lean into it and and do we do it for commodification purposes is it survival and things like this so um so I just wanted to just point out those two pieces in particular because they really came from research and yeah no that's that's really thank you for pointing towards that yeah, yeah. you can start Abby <laughs> I mean um this um 
the usage or the idea within the performance piece of uh, chipping away was also um, this idea or this concept of safer spaces or safe spaces. I was wondering like about to ask you about your thoughts on it because also the critical reflection about this, which was also part of your LCC lecture in November, right? On this concept of safe spaces, which also in these days experience like an inflationary uh, usage in a way. So I was wondering if you can maybe elaborate on the idea where it comes from also within your academic uh, profession, for example, and how this affected your sound piece. Okay, thanks. Yeah, um, I think my comfortable answer to that question would be talking about more how it relates to me at the moment. Like, um, I'm quite sure that this idea of safer and safe spaces came from like anti-racist and like, you know, black feminist movements and queer movements and all this stuff. I don't have the details on who first just did all this, but it, I'm, I'm hundred, I'm sure it's clear, you know, it came from this idea of like strategy and survival, you know, this survival of creating spaces outside of the norm. But then what do you do when you do have to physically enter institutions or you do have to negotiate a street that is, you know, populated by everybody? You know, how do you how do you create this idea of safer spaces? I'm I know that we we we've changed now, haven't we? We now talk about safer spaces because we 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 happily acknowledge the fact that not not everybody can feel safe and we're there and then just the other day my my friend Katie Lee Dunbar who is an artist and an educator they recently mentioned this idea of a brave space to me and I'd never heard that before and they and they were just like oh no it means it's it's this idea to be brave and it's like and I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing let's just say I'm paraphrasing not not what not what they said not what Katie said but I'm paraphrasing the discussion the, the thoughts I had after the discussion which was this idea of you are brave enough to have agency in that space and you are brave enough almost on the flip side to kind of deal with what might happen I find that a really interesting term and I was just thinking about my my students and um at the beginning of every seminar the very first session, I always sort of introduce a code of conduct with them. And, and I started doing it when we were doing online teaching, because I thought, okay, this needs to be done. But it also corresponded with the fact that I was teaching a seminar about feminisms and acoustic arts. And I thought, okay, I want to just sort of like, it was my attempt in this academic setting to, to create something that somebody might call a safer space you know or that somebody might even call a safe space because it's the first time they've even heard of it and then that's okay I think I think it's okay to kind of you know baby steps with some people and so you know the, the, the very first lecture the very first seminar I do I like say please read this everyone needs to read this and then and there was one time where I had to refer back to it because I think one of the students said um, you know, talked about this idea of racism being an opinion, and I think I've, <laughs> it was a little bit problematic, obviously. And then I and then I thought, how do I how do I catch this moment and keep it within the context of academia? I think it is relevant, but I, I do want to come back to this idea of of you know we've got this idea we've moved from this idea of, of what is safe, what what creates a safe space, you know, acknowledgement, reflection, awareness of power dynamics. What is awareness of power dynamics? Is it just naming it? 
or is it is it actually acting upon it um what what does any of this awareness even mean if we're not actually changing the space you know and then and then this wonderful term i've just heard like i said from my friend brave space i definitely want to research a little bit more where that comes from and what that could mean and and who is it brave for who is being brave in that space like is it the marginalized people being brave or is it the person who um created the space that's being brave and i think that is that is something that's really interesting you know, as I've sort of like been been working in arts education contexts and doing um, projects where there is, you know, generally this sort of, yeah, this is what we want to work towards. We want to like create create opportunities for marginalized voices to come through. Suddenly I find myself in academia and it's it's really exciting and there are people who also want that. And there are a lot of people who just don't give a shit. Sorry. Um, and there's a lot of people who, you know, want to pursue their very, very important, interesting, exciting music research, but either aren't aware of of other things that are going on. And there I have to check myself and think, okay, is it just that it's important to me? So I think it should be important to everybody. And then there is really, I am going somewhere with this. And then there's really this sort of like idea that I've recently heard of like, just literally back to this classic, yeah, calm down. Everything should be allowed. Provocation is good. Let's discuss everything. People should discuss provocation without getting too, without getting too aufgeregt. And I remember just, this is something that, this is an idea that came, that was, I was presented with recently in a situation where I was just like, you know, who is the person that's saying, deal with the racist comment, deal with the sexist lyrics, deal with the, deal with the with the misogyny deal with it in a in a in a in an unaufgeregt way in a way that doesn't doesn't get you agitated like who is it that's saying that and who has actually got the i'm going to put my cup of tea down in a second who is it that's actually got the ability to act on that without getting agitated and i find that is really interesting and then i have then we have to come back to this idea of who's being brave in the space who's being complacent who's just holding the space you know, who is working to actively make it safe and who isn't. There you go. You see, I got off great but I'm not somebody who can, <laughs> who can do that. So that that's just some of the thoughts I was having. So it's stuff that has come from maybe these uh so these more like arts education and 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 art making settings to then see how that is lived out in an academic setting is 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 very interesting. And I know that you also asked as well about how that could be then reflected in in sound. Um it's a tricky one. I think it feels like such a feels like such an um an easy answer, but it starts with listening. Listening is the first step because listening is so linked to self-reflection and reflexivity. So that would be my way to answer that part of the question. But then also like maybe from that point when I was uh, taking a look on your research interest, there was also like on the doctoral profile saying decolonial listening as a practice mm. when i was like stumbled upon this term i was thinking of like very in a music acoustical um observation mode for example like um very analytical like this um our trained ears like normed ears or ways of listening in a western um context with like listening in thirds and then in comparison like for me for example growing up with like also Carnatic music or raga music for example which has like um quarter tone intervals but decolonial listening 
what would it mean in your practice when I was stumbled upon this term? I was not really sure. Maybe you can explain on that. Yeah, I'm actually not sure either. Like, um, I'm really, really happy that you mentioned that because I remember when I started using this term like decolonial listening, I stumbled across um, this great article by Tuck and Yang. It's called something like decoloniality or decolonization is not a metaphor. And I remember reading this article with a couple of friends and it, it it blew my mind because it made me realize like, oh, do I mean decolonial or do I mean anti-racist or do I mean social justice? And, or do I just mean like feminist, you know? So, you know, I'm going to do that classic thing by not answering your question, but like throwing more questions at you. Like when, let's just say like when I was using those terms, I very much think that I w was working towards this idea exactly what you exactly what you said you know this this like technical way of listening to things and this idea of like unlearning how we listen to things like I also think that's really what I would have meant at the time honestly I don't know if I would still call it decolonizing listening anymore like I I've definitely altered my use of that word and I think things change and I'm happy to be in this this Yeah, not that I'm just like using the word one day and not using it the other day, but I, I realize, you know, like after reading, like, okay, for some people, decolonization is like, give us back our land, pay your reparations. I was like, that's not what I'm talking about. Like I'm talking about um, creating space for women of color to do things, for example, which is wonderful. And I'm still trying to figure out like if my work needs that term. I would say these days it's it's definitely more like intersectionality and I would you know I'm I'm I've gone back to using the word diversity like I think this intersectional critical diversity is like that to me is um are, are words that I feel very happy using and it also really relates to the stuff that I'm trying to do in my kind of like university context as well and the research that I'm starting there and this idea it's it's really interesting because it's like kind of like putting them all together like If we want something to be diverse, then the typical thing is like, okay, try and develop an approach to do this. What What's the approach? Is decolonizing something, is that a method or is it then decolonized at the end? Or is is the framework intersectional? Meaning like, do we look at all the, 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 the various forms of discrimination and how various overlapping and intersecting forms of um, discrimination then create power relations and then... Do we then have to do something with all of that in order to get to this like goal of diversity? So that's pretty much what I try and do. <laughs> I don't know, actually. <laughs> Sorry, I've just um, complicated that further. But I just wanted to just say that, yes, decolonize is an important word. But I think that diversity and intersectionality are as well. Yeah. So I read that your PhD project at the University of Oldenburg is about yeah women of color in higher education. Now, since you kind of already gave us an, a brief introduction, but could you tell us maybe about what you have discovered? Well, I can, until until yeah, now, <laughs> I can definitely tell you about what I plan. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm planning to do. Yeah. Um, I'm always like, you know, because of the corona, because of corona, I've not started yet. But no, I I would like to tell you what I am planning to do. I briefly told you about the sound piece voicing up that I did, and when I. I interviewed very loosely, very kind of casually, whatever that means. I interviewed these musicians and I kind of came up with these three terms or I discerned these three terms about how they negotiate their space. And like one of them was stretching and the other one was rejecting and the other one was enduring and stretching, just stretching in terms of themselves and 
their creativity. Like one one of the people I interviewed, they did talk about having a piece of equipment that they they had to learn it inside out because they couldn't afford to get the next model up. So they would have a piece of equipment and they'd be like, they would have to like stretch stretch their knowledge of this. Like, or let's just say, but the more they learn about this, they had to like stretch their creativity to kind of match their knowledge because that's all they had available to them. So that was like one idea. So like stretching in that respect. And then and the other thing I uh, that came about was this idea of rejecting, which I thought was interesting, like this idea of this rejecting the norm. So we talked about this idea of creating spaces outside of dominant structures, or maybe that was just in my head. I don't know if we said it, but, um, you know, rejecting the norms that reject them. Like, you know, I spoke to a couple of people who sort of said, well, you know, if they don't want me, I'm not going to go. Or um, if they don't want me, then I'm just going to do something else. And... So there was that. And then this idea of enduring, which is like, means two things, <laughs> you know, enduring in the sense that it's, it lasts a long, long time. And this is where this actually chipping away was um, such a beautiful, poignant term. It was actually a direct quote from one of the people I interviewed. Like she, she sort of said, like, I feel like I'm just chipping away slowly, but surely, but I'm getting really exhausted. So it's this enduring kind of like stressful state but also this idea of not giving up. Mm. So I've kind of said those three terms in a nutshell. And I think what what I want to do at this stage right now of my project is I basically want to say, okay, so this is how professional musicians in Berlin are dealing. What the hell is it like for students, you know? So my project at the moment, as it stands, ask me again in a year's time, is going to be looking at um, I've asked, I'm, 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 I'm asking for participants, you know, who are women, um, gender non-conforming, non-binary people of color, um, students of pop musics in Musikhochschulen. And I could literally go on about this. Like, <laughs> so the reasons why I want to do that are as follows. Musikhochschulen, as opposed to universities, are very special places in Germany. And from what I have researched in terms of um, how they position themselves, like I found this very interesting document, which is actually their positions, their position paper, Positionierung. Mm. And they kind of position themselves and they have this big declaration, this is what we are, these are our expectations, this is what we believe in. And, you know, it's great and it's wonderful, but there's lots of these ideas of like nurturing tradition, and exceptionalism. Basically, I want to sort of question what that means to others, like with a capital O, what that means, or that what that means for othered bodies in that context. And uh, I could have just left it at that, you know, and it could have just been like music cocktail, but then I wanted to spe specify popular music um, because, I mean, I think that black women, women of color, non white women, non-white people are just subject to stereotypes like really it's so simple actually really like stereotypes to the point like even from the perspective of the the teaching person other students the musics that are created the expectations of what should be created yeah so that's it in a nutshell that's that's the plan <laughs> we we will ask you again in one year but Please that's do i would love it i would love it if you just sent me like a voice message saying so how's it going how's it? i would love that it's accountability on my part as well that I actually do something yeah but that, that sounds really interesting I am interested in in yeah finding out what you uh yeah what you discovered 
I think when I was like um, suggesting you for this series was because a friend of mine showed me your LCC Sound Art uh, Art Visiting Practitioner series, where this was this lecture about the three concepts that you also mentioned before, and it was naming unpowering the margins, and it really like resonated with me because I was there in a point in my life where I also needed to find some something to really maybe capture the thoughts that I had. Um, you were really like giving me a concept or idea to actually grasp it somehow. And that's what I, what I felt very like, um, and like powerful about it. Like uh, the way how you try to uh, describe these feelings that being in a margin, but also at the same time, Uh, being aware of with the access that we got into the academia, for instance, or like specific spaces, um, what kind of also accountability or responsibility goes in hand with that and what kind of expectations from a certain community comes with that and the pressure that you feel because you're voicing up, you are like also demanding things that people might also put uh, expectation of a certain way that you should represent and you're um, maybe scared about misrepresenting or also not want to speak on the behalf of someone. And those were all like these different thoughts that uh, I had in my mind, but where I couldn't really find a way to express. And then I just listened to this sound piece and I was like, oh my God, someone is speaking my language right now. Because I was really in this moment in my life where I, I was so indecisive and also so insecure about it. And I think there are so many out there like us uh, feeling that way. And uh, yeah, I wanted to thank you for that. Oh my God, thank you so much. I, I That means such a lot to me because, yeah, it really means a lot to me. And um, that piece as well, um, when I was invited by by Annie Go um, to, to do a lecture as part of the Visiting Practitioner series, it was, you know, I think, very right from the start I was like okay I'm just gonna just record a one hour long voice note because this is what I'm doing these days I'm sending voice messages to everybody my mother my friends all around the place people just down the road as well it's like all voice messages you know and so I thought I'm just gonna send this big one long voice note and um everything you just described it's like yeah nailed it like that's pretty much all the stuff I was thinking and I believe like the reason I was able to put it in this form in and the reason I was able to talk about it is because a lot of the the questions and the the insecurities and the doubts that that we that we or other people may have had I feel like there were that was a time where I was beginning to sort of um not make them smaller but I was beginning to sort of not let them guide me specifically this idea of like fear this whole fear around representation and right now in my life again ask me in a year who knows but right now in my life I really feel like I I just yeah I I'm not ashamed to say really basic things like and I think that part of that has come about being in an academic setting where the basic stuff is sometimes brushed over or nobody knows it and you have to mention it it's like this weird like opposition and I'm trying to find my feet with that and so in a way like the way to make my life easier is just to say the basic things just to call something racist when it is or sexist or homophobic and all this kind of stuff And um, this, this, um, I had a wonderful conversation with another professor, a professor 
black female professor, you know, we were talking a little bit in our preparation conversations about this idea of mentors. And I remember speaking, speaking to her and, and she said something that I really needed to hear, which was being silent does not mean you're accountable. Like basically she was kind of giving me permission to rest, giving you permission to rest. Like just because it's literally saying just because you don't speak out and get frustrated about this particular thing. It doesn't mean that you are, you, it is your fault that it's going wrong. Like you were allowed to rest. But in that moment, when I spoke with her, I remember just thinking, okay, so much actually comes from, from here. Like we're dealing, we're talking a lot in our work about the world and like how all these different things intersect and what it all means, but like, you know, set your boundaries, keep yourself safe. And I think that's, that's the way to survive. Yeah. I mean, um, politics of ears was also an expression that I stumbled upon when I was listening to uh, one of your last um, radio series of Savvy Contemporary in which you also spoke. Um, what are your like uh, thoughts on the idea of the listening can be political or can be a political act? How can listening be a political act? I think in a lot of ways, it's maybe what I've mentioned before, this idea of... Um, listening to something that that isn't normally heard or you know listening as a political act because it often means you need to be quiet it often means that some voice needs to be quiet some perspective needs to suddenly be dormant you know that maybe was dominating too much you know uh, that was uh, loud before that was loud before exactly and i think that yeah Again, this idea of, of unlearning listening as well, I think is really important perception and bias and in our reactions to stuff and like unlearning what a, what an action might mean. And I think that all comes from this idea of, of listening as well. Um, you mentioned it actually earlier, this, um, this keynote that I did, the decolonizing listening one. And I remember now one of the examples that I used in that was, I used an example about... Um, Uh, it's really sad about um, the sort of medical care given to black women. And this example was in the in the States and about how um, there was one woman who was talking about um, having lots of like gynecological problems and wasn't really taken seriously and was just sort of like, oh, yeah, you've got a sexually transmitted disease. Um, take these tablets. Blah, blah, blah. But it was it was something else. It was it was more serious. It wasn't life threatening, but it was something like that was not a sexually transmitted disease. It was like something that needed medication and needed treatment. But it was just this idea of the stereotype getting in the way of being really listened to. So if we want to talk about listening being a political act, like open, aware listening, like direct listening and listening after, you know, biases have been put in check, after your own reflectivity, reflexivity has been has been dealt with but uh, like listening after you have questioned your own listening norms and your own listening pattern patterns I think listening after that can be really political and powerful because it allows different truths to come through it allows it allows um it allows different wisdoms to come through and it actually saves people's lives so thank you for answering this question 
I mean, now it's get more concrete, like when I was uh, thinking about the idea and then with the example that you gave, it was... I mean, again, like it's 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 an ongoing idea and I think relating it to anecdotes and relating it to examples is actually the best way to sort of um, understand things. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that made so much sense to me, What you, that example that you mentioned. And I think that's applicable in so many other situations, right, where... Yeah, where, where all of these things that inform, you know, how we understand the world shape also our listening. And therefore, if we, yeah, spend time and try to, you know, con confront these structures and, and as you said, you know, checking our biases and, and all of that, then it can actually allow for, for a different kind of listening and, and hearing. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and I would say that's when the fun starts because that's when all the contradictions come in and like and i think that the, the really beautiful part and maybe this is a nice way to think about kind of concluding these ideas like yeah after you know after you've you know you've put all this in check and then you've, you're listening with this um as aware as you possibly can and then as soon as all this stuff comes in it's like whoa then then the new challenges start you know and i think that's kind of that's sort of what excites me and that's a good thought to leave yeah the conversation i would say i'll round it up <laughs> that's a good ending thank you shanti <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow uh thank you so much shanti for being uh here with us today it's been really <laughs> i wanted to say eye-opening but actually no it's been ear-opening i hope you also enjoyed it on transculture express uh do you want to say goodbye as well i just want to say thanks so much for the invitation i had a great time cool we will actually be back the next time with another guest. Our next guest is Anthony Hussein, a non-binary singer, songwriter and interdisciplinary performer and singing teacher. So that's next time here on the podcast. This podcast is funded by Music Board Berlin and great thanks to artist Tania. Transculture Express Transculture Express is produced by Frida Neander-Rumeau and Abilajan Bademurali. Music by Nina Lachin. I mean, do you have anything else you would like to? I, I cannot possibly think of anything else no. I could say. <laughs> I feel like I've covered everything. I didn't talk about my mum. I normally talk about my mum a oh. lot. This time I didn't, but you know, <laughs> otherwise. Okay, next time.